Today on Podcast by the Bay, we return to our Mayor on the Peninsula series and featuring our local mayor of Foster City, Sam Hindi. Well, I'm proud of everything that uh, we have accomplished over the past year. There's a lot of accomplishment that has uh, happened, quite frankly. Uh, we had a balanced budget. Uh, the main, First and foremost, we have been still one of the most the safest city in the country to live in and always voted one of the best places to live as well. Uh, we have great staff here. Uh, we have great fire and police that continue to provide us the best services possible. Who discusses many of the issues affecting Foster City, including feedback on some of the traffic solutions, like the no left turn on East Hillsdale, and also the hovercraft, and also his perspective on how to work with the school district to move forward with the Charter Square School Project. I want to work very closely with the school district to see how we can assist them, whether financially, whether in any other way, form we can. Because at the end of the day, we share the same goal with them, provide our kids with the best education possible. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another edition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us, and we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends and telling everybody about Podcast by the Bay and what we're doing here on the peninsula. So today we actually have a very special show. We're getting back into our Mayor on the Peninsula series and really getting back to the local level and really talking some of the local issues. I mean, there's so much going on right now in our community, um, at a state level, at a regional level, and at a national scale. There's so much things happening. And so we are very pleased to actually get back down to the local level and really talk to some of the local mayors that are here on the peninsula and really talk about the issues that are affecting us all. So, Patrick, our first up is our our uh, local mayor, Sam Hindi of Foster City. And so, Sam, we've actually spoken with him uh, previously, and so we're actually uh, pleased to actually uh, speak with him again. So, Patrick, you got to go talk to Sam. You met with him. You know him. Um, so to give us a little bit of a background about uh, Sam and uh, just about the interview. Well, I was very honored to have the opportunity to interview Sam Hindi, and this was right after um, on a Sunday because he's been busy and it's been very difficult to, to, to get him on. And he will be our first mayor, our first mayor of the year, and I'm honored. Of, obviously, many of you know, recognize my name. I ran for city council in Foster City, and my, my uh, campaign people and people that supported me, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, all the support that I was given, and it was a tight race. Um, so I want to thank the audience out there, and I want to, want to thank my campaign people. They did an outstanding job 
especially especially the the committee that I put together. So I was very honored to have that opportunity to run. And I was also honored to interview Sam Hendy. And again, this is the first mayor series. And um, Sam is a second term mayor. Um, So it's kind of an irony in his first uh, first term running that he's actually been mayor twice. Uh, it is very unique in, in the respect that uh, on the peninsula, uh, there's only one other mayor that usually has had de- guaranteed a second term, and that's the San Bruno mayor, mayor too. So I wanted to move forward with that, and I think it was kind of critical. Um, they were talking the same issues. I've been following the council the best I can, and I was kind of trying to mirror and talk to Sam on some of the same issues. They were driving the campaign. One was uh, we were talking about getting the levy on time and on budget. Um, and I think that the current council seems to be going that direction. So I'm excited for the council. Uh, Sam, was we discussed, he's as concerned as we all are in the Bay Area uh, going over budget on that. So I think they're moving forward in the right direction on that. We also had an opportunity to talk about the park and rec. And as you know, the park and rec, they've got uh, three designs that they're all looking at. Uh, in a three to two vote, they they approved to spend, I think, around seven or eight million to put together some kind of preliminary design. Um, it's not over with with the with that. They do have a conceptual design. The the major obstacle that the city and uh, Sam will bring it up is how do we fund it? Um, are we going to fund it with a partnership with businesses? Are we going to have a partial tax? Or are we going to have a bond? Uh, the the estimates uh, for that probably are starting at seventy to eighty million dollars. And as we know, the cost is going up in the Bay Area. I again appreciate Sam also uh, talked a little bit about the uh, Palestinian Festival, which was the first of its kind in Foster City. And as you know, Foster City celebrates a lot of diversity, and we have a lot of people from all over the world. So he talks about the success of that. Um, he talks about his role on the council. Um, and as far as uh, I was concerned, I think it was an excellent interview, an excellent, um, I was glad to see his enthusiasm. And we're moving forward in the direction of seeing how we can see some change. Um, we did talk a little bit about the uh, Foster's Landing. Foster's Landing, as you notice, seems to be more restaurants than it is retail. Uh, they do have a retail grocery store, an Indian cash and carry. Uh, they also have, as you know, the lemonade place over there. They also have a, a uh, Middle Eastern food. Uh, they've got Japanese food. Uh, they're going to have a, a craft store. So it is progressing over there in Foster's Landing, maybe not at the pace everybody would like. Um, uh, we talked about transportation a little bit. We talked about the Hubbercraft. And as you know, uh, Sam uh, with the Bay Area Council has been passionate about looking at the Hubbercrafts. Um, I attended the Bay Area Council when running for election. Uh, I was invited by uh, Sam Hindi, the mayor, to attend that. And I was very impressed that they are moving forward with uh, the Hubbercraft. So I'm not going to take the thunder away from uh, Sam. I wanted you guys to all listen uh, to Sam Hindi. Uh, the mayor of Foster City. Sounds good, Patrick. And once again, we'd like to thank Sam Hindi and uh, his staff for actually uh, organizing the interview. And um, one of the things also is just, you know, there's some new things that have just uh, been implemented, and that's like the no left-hand turn off the, you know, East Hillsdale. And so we're going to continue to monitor that because these are the issues that are really important to the, to the local Foster City community. I mean, it is our hometown. It, we do appreciate uh, being involved in discussing a lot of these issues that are happening at the local level. And we appreciate all the leaders and uh, community leaders and uh, engaged citizens that are actually participating and really being a part of the discussion. 
So once again, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off. One second, Andre. I just wanted to kind of give our audience a uh, um, a tribute to uh, one of the people that we had interviewed, and that's Bob Cushman, the activist in the community. Bob passed away about a week ago. Uh, and we were very honored to have many opportunities to interview him on the levy uh, on issues. Uh, Bob was well well versed on subjects, and not everybody agreed with him. But we appreciate the contribution that he has given to Foster City, and we pray for his family. and And uh, we hope for a, a pleasant journey for Bob Cushman, a dedicated citizen in Foster City who made a difference. We definitely would like to thank Bob Cushman, and we we definitely. Uh, wish his family and everybody uh, much condolences from Podcast by the Bay. He always was an engaged participant, somebody who always discussed the issues and had a lot of different uh, perspectives on the issues. And I think it very helped. Actually, it, it actually helped the community understand these issues from different perspectives. And we appreciate all the time that he actually had spent with us here on Podcast the Bay. And you can actually go back and actually hear those interviews if you actually would like. So, so once again, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off. And uh, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. If you have any feedback or questions, um, you can always reach us on Twitter and at podcastbythebay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And you can always listen to any of our interviews 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, on our uh, podcast site. And we're actually on Spotify now. So on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, we are on there. So, with that, signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. We're live. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Today is Super Bowl Day, and I have the honor of interviewing the mayor of Foster City, the town I live in. Um, Sam Hindi is, this is his second year as mayor for the city of Foster City. Uh, he's in his first term. This is his third year. Is that right, Sam? Fourth year. Fourth year. Okay, Sam will be up for re-election. Um, welcome to Podcast by the Bay, Sam. Thank you, Patrick. Pleasure to be with you as usual. Okay, listen, I, I, I noticed in the Daily Journal, and I had an, an opportunity because you invited me to the Bay Area Council on the Hubbardcraft. Uh, there was a featured article in the Daily Journal on the Hubbardcraft why don't you tell the residents and the people in Foster City what is the Hubbardcraft and what is going to take place possibly in the peninsula here? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. And yeah, I had the pleasure of having you join us, Patrick, at the Council of Cities meeting where we had the 20 cities in the San Mateo County. And we had a presentation. Our guest for that evening was the Bay Area Council and Hubbard, California, a company that probably looking at building Hubbardcraft here in the Bay Area. The hovercraft ferries uh, are extremely important, and I believe they have the potential of having significant impact on our transportation and mobility issues that we are facing here in the Bay Area. And I think also more importantly, the hovercraft, if implemented, has the potential of addressing some of our housing challenges in the Bay Area as well. Um, I, you know, last year I traveled to England, part of a delegation and a study group led by the Bay Area Council. I want to take this opportunity to thank the Bay Area Council President Jim Wonderman for organizing the trip and for inviting me to be there. We had the opportunity to ride on the hovercraft in uh, uh, the Isle of Wales, and the area there pretty much similar to what the Bay Area is. The beauty of hovercraft is you don't need to have marinas. You don't need to dredge. They would come in anywhere. There's water access and even on the mudflats. 
So for example, in the Bay Area, as you know, whenever we have low tides, you don't have access to the shores anymore because of the mud. Well, the hovercraft doesn't, doesn't care. The hovercraft will come up all the way on the mud flats and could still get the passengers moving in and out. In addition, the hovercraft is a lot faster than the catamaran because they don't have to slow down when they get closer to where they need to dock, so to speak, because they don't create any wake like the catamaran or the traditional fairing. And the ride in it was extremely comfortable, similar to what you have currently in the ferries. It has handicapped access. It has uh, places for bicycle to get in. You have a small uh, bar, if you will, you know, serving snacks and beverages and so forth. And ex my concern was, before I got on the trip, really was the noise. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go and experience it. And the technology of hovercraft has come a long way from the 1960s and 70s. Currently, the noise level of the hovercraft is really nothing that we need to worry about. Uh, it's extremely bearable and uh, not a concern for me, at least. And everybody who was on the trip was pleasantly surprised of the noise level of the hovercraft. So hovercraft really will connect the Bay Area. Now, are you working with the surrounding cities? And I, I, I noticed at the ABAG thing, I kind of got the impression that the county is kind of uh, of exploring this together with the cities. Is that how it's going to work? Is it going to work with the counties or is the individual cities going to have to jump aboard and say to the county, we want to do this? So the way it's going to work at currently uh, is going to be presented to WIDA, Water Emergency Transportation Agency. So WIDA has, is in charge of ferries in the Bay Area. So they be coming on their next meeting. They're going to have proposal to to perform a study on the feasibility of hovercraft ferries in the Bay Area. So I think that would be the first step. In the meantime, I'm connecting, as you know, I'm connecting with my colleagues up and down the peninsula. I've connected with Congresswoman Jackie Speer and uh, Assemblymember Kevin Mullen and Senator Hill. I would be meeting with them further to discuss this issue more in detail. Uh, I think this is a really an exciting opportunity for the Bay Area to address. Well, I was excited to, to, to see the video and, and excited to see that this is starting to uh, to come to fruition. So I think that's exciting. What's your prediction? Is this a two-year, five-year? How long do you think we're going to possibly, we're not trying to hold you to it, when do you think we're going to see the first hovercraft out there? Oh, that's a tough question to answer, <laughs> Patrick. I wish I could give you that answer. But I could tell you... Uh, those who are involved in this initiative are moving at full blast, and we're not going to be wasting any time. We will be knocking at doors. We will be holding uh, meetings. We will be holding uh, conferences uh, to get this moving as fast as possible. But these kind of projects, obviously, they take time. They take years. Um, how long? It's really not easy for me at this point to answer that question. Well, this is the first time uh, since uh, I interviewed you last year and that we have the post office. So I want to congratulate all that worked so hard diligently to get that post office. Um, as you know, we probably had a lot of naysayers that didn't think it was going to happen, but whatever way you did it, I appreciate that. And I think the residents are very excited about it. Uh, close to the post office, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Foster Square. Um, I'm excited to see that, that we've got a lot of new businesses going in there, uh, predominantly restaurants. So um, I mean, that's exciting for the diversity. I think we, we're going to have, we have an Indian uh, cash and carry store that's coming in. We've got a Japanese 
uh, place. We have a Middle Eastern place. We, we have, but one of the themes that I'm hearing out there, um, and is we don't see very much retail. Do you, do you foresee any retail happening there or is this going to be food square? Well, retail is pretty challenging. I mean, the retail environment, as you know, has changed over the recent, over the past few years. Most of us shop online and, uh, the retail business, the retail model has really changed. Uh, it is not viable for most places to have a retail, and you could see that even in an area as robust as Burlingame. You see many retail establishments come in, open, and then a few years back or even a year, a few years later or even a year, they will close down. And you see many stores change, even in such a robust area. So here in Foster City, that will be a challenge. But what I like, I like this idea, what we having now, diversity in restaurants, diversity in eateries, uh, and retail, if you talk retail like services, I think that it has, that could be successful here in Sponsorcy. But retail, as far as uh, the traditional retail, closing stores and that kind of stuff, I don't think it will survive in City, quite frankly. And it's, cha- it's being challenged to succeed in other places, malls, I mean, Macy's, Sears, Nordstrom, all these kind of establishments, they are trimming their stores and some of them are closing their stores. Yes, you know, as you know, the Hillsdale Mall is doing the theme that they're doing across the country and that's entertainment and restaurants. So we're seeing that theme. You're absolutely right. That's a very good point. Um, There is a new owner there from my understanding, I guess, in the last couple of years on the Foster Square building. And how's that relationship working with the city? Because they're a different owner. I'm not sure that they're following all of the same ideas that the city wanted to see there. So is that partnership working pretty well with you guys? You're talking about the commercial broker? Yeah. No, I think it's working fine. I mean, the previous commercial broker really were trying hard to attract establishment that would have a good fit for us here in Foster City. Uh, It's a challenge, as you know, because uh, it's not easy to get in and out of town in the evening. So that is a challenge to establishment that especially eateries that want to succeed they cannot solely depend on foster city residents they need customers from our daytime population the employees and they need customers from our neighboring cities and if you look at the restaurants that succeed in foster city you will see clearly that those who attract clientele from outside the city are the one who make it uh, they just simply cannot survive on Foster City residents. Well, Sam, I wanted to congratulate you again about the Palestinian festival that we had out here in Foster City. I think that was a historic moment for Foster City, and I was glad to see the event. Can you give us a little background about how this event came to fruition? Absolutely. So as you know, Patrick, you're right on. This was an extremely successful event, and I think we had over 5,000 people attend, which is the second highest attendance after the City Fest. So that's a great community event. And I'm proud of it, quite frankly, because, you know, Foster City prouds itself in its diversity. We hold so many culture uh, festivals. We have the Polynesian Festival. We have the Lunar New Year, the Chinese New Year Festival, and many, many, many others. We have the Holly Festival. So I thought that was a great addition to Foster City to bring in the Palestinian culture and introduce it to our community at a larger scale. You know, we have a large uh, Palestinian and Arab community live here in Foster City. They're not extremely active, but there's quite a few of them. So that was a great thing to 
put a spotlight on that culture, if you will. The event has been happening for the past 40 years in San Francisco. The group that puts it together, uh, they have been uh, holding it at the Halls of Flower in the Golden Gate Park. And they overgrew that place and they approached approach me to see if there's a possibility for Foster City to hold the event, for them to hold the event here in Foster City. And I simply introduced them to uh, our park and rec and they went through the normal procedure and process of applying and going through the IDEC committee and so forth. But it was a great event, well attended, and uh, we're looking forward to holding it again this year in September on September 14th. So it's going to be even bigger and better. And I invite the entire community to come in and get to enjoy food, Palestinian food, music, culture, art, and so forth. So it's going to be a great event. Well, Sam, I'm glad you brought it up. There's so many Palestinians in the Bay Area. And to, to a lot of the listeners out there, there was a well-known Palestinian that worked at the fish market for years at the Oyster Bar, and that's Noah. Uh -huh. And I wish Noah was here. As you know, Noah moved to Sacramento a couple of years ago. He would be very proud to know that there was a Palestinian festival and. I think the Foster City residents and the Palestinian people look forward to seeing another event come up about that next this year. And thank you, Patrick. And uh, just uh, as a sidebar note, people come from all over the Bay Area for that festival. So we have people coming in from Sacramento and the East Bay and the South Bay and so forth. So looking forward to it. Well, I, I congratulate you anyway. And I know the the listeners, some of them would out there would agree that that was a compliment to the city and a compliment to the diversity that we have in the city of Foster City. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about a uh, a really good retail business that's in the city, and that's Costco. I know Costco brings in on sales tax around almost $900,000 a year, and there's a new proposal on the, the books. I think it's still at the Planning Commission, uh, which could probably generate another million dollars with gas tax for sales tax. What's, what's your opinion on the Costco gas station or gas? Well, as you know, I own a business that is would be competitive a competition for that gas station component uh, for Costco, and I recuse myself from those discussions on the council, so I don't know if it'll be appropriate for me to comment on that here with you. Um, I, I mean, we love Costco. We, I think it they provide a lot of great service for our uh, residents here, and they also attract people from outside our city. And they do generate, like you mentioned, a significant amount of sales tax for the city, and that's extremely important. Now, Costco wanted to not just add a gas station, they wanted to make their warehouse bigger so they could provide additional products and services to their clients. And I think that's a great thing uh, if uh, they're able to do that. Now, part of their uh, proposal <clears throat> was add a gas station. And I think, I, like I told you, I recused myself, but I think my colleagues asked, well, what if, because uh, they, I could comment what my colleagues commented rather than what my opinion about this. My colleagues, I think everybody who was in the meeting had concerns about the traffic that the gas station will generate, being where it is, being that we are dealing with traffic in that area, that intersection today. And actually, uh, as you know, we are doing the traffic pilot traffic relief pilot program to address exactly that area because we're getting the cut through traffic that comes in through Hillsdale and Edgewater and Shell and end up back in Metro right by Costco. So the concern was would this gas station, the proposed gas station, generate a lot of more traffic coming in, people who are traveling on the 92 eastbound coming in, getting off the freeway 
to fill up gas and then get back on in a ready congested intersection, ready intersection, part of town. So that was a concern of my colleagues. Uh, so again, I don't want to comment just because of the conflict of interest. Well, yeah, my I, personal I, no, I, I respect that. You know, right in line with the uh, uh, the uh, Costco thing is the new proposal. Um, I think that's between Visa and Costco of the new hotel. What's your feelings on that? I know this is really in the preliminary stage. Now, if I recall, is it going to be six stories? Yes, I think okay. that's a proposal. The proposal. Uh, any initial feelings? I know it's, it's. Is it still in the planning commission? Isn't that? Is that my understanding? Yeah. yeah. Well, they what basically happened? They came to the gatekeeper as to whether, as a council, you know, the gatekeeper for those who don't know, it's simply given the applicant some feedback whether this is absolutely positively not a go with this council, or is it something that the council is will entertain when it comes in. The idea is if some if this is absolutely no way this will be considered so the applicant doesn't go spend time and money on plans and on applications and so forth if it didn't it's not gonna pass. What the feedback that we gave the applicant was uh, this is a good idea in general, but obviously there's a lot more details that need to be ironed out. There's a lot more details that has to go through the process. They need to be in EIR. How many and, rooms are we talking about? How many hotel rooms? I think uh, the applicant mentioned about 150. I don't have the number in my head right away. But what's good about this hotel, what I like, is it's not. it's going to be like a boutique hotel, if you will. Uh, it's not going to have those uh, uh, those halls and rooms that will have celebration and will have big events and so forth. So no big conference room. No it'll big, be, it'll absolutely. be more like a motel than a hotel? Not a motel. It's going to be more on the upper class. Uh, upper, like the Marriott Courtyard a little bit? A little bit. What they have is... Uh, the loft or what the brand he mentioned i i don't have that brand on top of my head but it's going to be more on an upper scale boutique hotel so to speak it's not going to be having convention rooms or halls and uh, to hold special events and so forth well i i want to before we uh forget is to congratulate all the hard effort that we did to get the levy budget passed and the bond and stuff like that um, with that said, obviously, you know, I was passionate about it, too, because that was one of the key issues um, that, that I was trying to push forward to make sure we do it on time and on budget. Uh, my observation with the council is that they seem to be going that direction. Um, is there any take on that? Um, my concern uh, is the concern that you have and any of the members on the council or the residents, um, being that it is... Uh, a $90 million bond with a float up to about 110 Do you think we're going to come in on budget on that? I know, and I know right now we're, um, I was reading the uh, council voting, there seems to be a direction to do exactly what I thought we all should do, and I think council did too, is to push forward to get something uh, so we can get it moving on time and on budget. So any insight that you may share with the people out here? No, I mean, this is really our my concern, and I think my colleague's concern is, to make sure that this remains on time and within budget. Uh, as you know, the challenge is um, cost of labor construction-wise continue to escalate. Uh, just as a lack of uh, sufficient labor force with construction. You have the fires up in Santa Rosa, you have the fires in Paradise, you have the fires in Southern California. We're really limited to how much. So that kind of concerns me. And I'm not saying that we've seen any 
indication that this will go over budget, but for me in the back, I always, I'm always concerned about that. Another thing that concerns me is with the steel tariffs that the president had put on steel. This project will have a lot of steel, so that kind of concerns me as well. But speaking with staff, uh, they still believe that we are within budget, so that's the information that I have. I have concerns, personal concerns, but speaking with staff, they kind of tell me that we should be within budget. When do you think we'll break ground on that to um, actually start the construction on that levy? So we are currently in the permit process. We submitted to all four agencies that will issue permits, and we are anticipating that would be within six months we will have the permits. Right after that, we'll put the RFP, and the RFP probably should take like three months, and then right thereafter we will award the contract and we'll start. So you're looking at seven to eight months to break ground? To take a, a real short diversion here, because we talked about it with Costco, let's go back to the uh, proposed thing that City Council's put out there, which is the no left-hand turns on Edgewater and Hillsdale. Now, isn't that in place right now, or is that taking place? It is in place, and it's going to be taking effect February 11th. Okay. That is the start date of that pilot program. What I could share with you and your listeners uh, that we have staff have successfully contacted and got some uh, got agreement from the navigation app companies to put in their system that there is no left turn on Hillsdale Boulevard between four and seven into Edgewater and Shell Boulevard. So they will comply with that. We have been in contact with Caltrans, which I always thought that is critical to keep cars notified the commuters before they get off on Hillsdale that there is no left turn. And the way to do that is really have Caltrans put information on their billboards that there will be no left turn or there's no 92 East access, some kind of message to communicate to the commuters. Going through Foster City is not going to provide you easy and quick access to the 92 East. Well, we got back from Caltrans, and actually I have to give a kudos here to Senator Hill's office and his staff because they have been assisting us in this matter, and they reach out to Caltrans. Caltrans will not put those messages on the billboards because those are for emergency and notification regarding the freeway. However, Caltrans said we will entertain having mobile boards, trailers that will put some kind of messages on. So staff is working with Caltrans or Senator Hill's office to see if we could do that. And I think that would be extremely helpful to the success of the program if we could notify commuters before they get off the 101. There was one challenge. I know I, I attended that transportation meeting, and I know you did too, um, where some of the homeowners were concerned about people uh, making U-turn uh, uh, in their driveways. And Obviously, the chief addressed the best that he could. That that's private property. We understand your concerns. Any any ideas come about on how we can help those homeowners? Um, um, it, it sounds like a difficult challenge because, especially on Edgewater and Hillsdale, there are some HOAs where people could basically do a, a U-turn. Right. No, the residents are absolutely correct, and this is has been a concern for council and for the subcommittee all along. Uh, we are under no illusion that this uh, pilot program will create a more pain before it gets any better. There's no question about it. Traffic is going to get worse in the initial stages. 
and those who are on the north of Hellsdale Boulevard, our residents in uh, Meridian Bay and others, uh, have uh, legitimate concerns that people, uh, commuters might come through their properties, their private property, to make it through to the 92 East. So the good news is staff has been meeting with the HOA and been trying to assist them in any way, shape, or form we can. We are uh, providing them with signs and poles free of charge so they could post it that no access, only residents and so forth. And uh, we are working also on trying to get a black and white uh, police car in there also to discourage people from getting through and obeying the sign rather than just keep going. Um, it will be a challenge. I mean, this that's why it's called a pilot program. We're going to have to be monitoring this constantly and we will adjust. It's not static. It's going to be a fluid program to where police and staff, public works will be constantly monitoring this program. And if anything needs to be adjusted, we will adjust it. If it needs to be for some reason terminated, it will be terminated. Well, it's going to be interesting because I know that uh, in talking with some of the officers, no one in particular's name I'm going to... But it, one of the more challenging things is during those hours, I guess, between... 4.30 and maybe 8 o'clock is sometimes road rage. So it's going to be interesting. I Hopefully um, that the message gets out. We don't have uh, that thing and that it's a success and that we can put it. I think we want to thank Bob Fitzgerald. I think Bob Fitzgerald was the gentleman that said no left-hand turns um, off of Hillsdale and Edgewater. So it's going to be interesting, and I, and I wish the program to be successful. No, absolutely, Patrick. And I want to also uh, second your thanks to Bob Fitzgerald, former mayor, council member, that was his idea for quite some time, and he did not give up, and he, con he continued to bring this to council members until, you know, it got traction that it did. So, yeah, thanks to Bob for that. Well, I think another thing that we that's really concerned, and it's been in the paper a lot, and I know council just um, on a three-to-two vote, it was an interesting vote, um, on the proposal to go a little bit further uh, evaluation on the rec center, uh, <clears throat> and if I'm correct, I think it's a seven million, seven to ten million dollar range. Right. Um, you might give the the viewers. I know there's three proposals out there. Um, if you choose to tell us what proposal you're in favor of, that's great. If you, right. you want a reserved comment, that's okay too. Uh, why don't you give them an idea of what the proposals are? Right. So actually, the council did vote on the proposal. Well, although two council members did not vote on bringing the seven or eight million dollar line item on the budget to be discussed during the budget session, but all five of us agreed that we are in favor of uh, the conceptual design that will have an outdoor beer garden and cafe and kind of outdoor food, if you will. Uh, the other proposals that were considered by the city council and were requested from the uh, consultant, one was the idea of trying to bring Hillbarn Theater to be part of that complex. And I was in favor of that, quite frankly, in the beginning, in the earlier stages, because I thought it would bring a lot of benefit, not just to Hellbarn, putting it in the center of the city, but also to that recreation center. It will make it a vibrant area. Uh, but with that proposal, uh, there are challenges, like in every other proposal that there was in there. Uh, the biggest challenge was you're going to need to require a whole lot more parking if you would to bring the Hellbarn Theater. And that would take a lot from our open space. 
So that would have a real impact on how the rec center today would be. Well, maybe maybe we'll, let's be creative. If we get the hill barn to move over, why don't we use that as a parking lot over there? Yeah, I mean, but hill barn wasn't uh, hill barn. I think they wanted to keep that property for themselves. And but regardless, I think it wasn't the best fit. And and this is not just my opinion. I think all five of us uh, were in favor of that proposal. To have a beer garden and some kind of outdoor f- uh, food uh, at the at the rec center. What you asked about the seven and eight for architectural design budget. It's really we're not approving the architectural design. Neither were we approving the money to be spent at that meeting. What we were asked from by staff is, do you want to see that item come on the budget study? And then during the budget, we could decide, do you want to have that as a CIP? And even then, that would not have been an approved money to be spent. Because the CIP then would have to come in when the CIP come before us to say, yes, go move forward or don't move forward. So there's still a couple more steps before we approve spending that money on architectural design. Well, it's my understanding that um, I know budgets are out there that the rec center, depending on which process we do, is going to cost about $70 million. Is that is is that pretty accurate for a stepping stone to say it's going to be $70 million? Well, a 60 to $70 million, this is like a wishful thinking rec center, right? So when we, when we were asking the consultant to give us this conceptual design, these three conceptual design, we basically included everything that the residents wanted to see in the rec center, everything that staff wanted to see in the rec center, everything that council members wanted to see in the rec center. So this was like the wish list. And our direction to the consultant was, give us numbers that you're using not the fanciest material and not cheap material, somewhere what is looked nice and middle of the way kind of material. And that number that they gave us is not in today's dollars. This is in 2022 dollars, because if we move forward with this project, that's when it will be constructed. So the, in today's dollars, probably looking at 50 million. Okay, so you've got a the, cushion in there. You we think we so. put it in there because, not the cushion, uh, projecting really what would be the cost in 2022 when you start construction, if you start construction at that time. So that is in 2022 dollars. Okay. Those numbers. How are we going to? How is the city of Foster City going to fund it? Well, that's the discussion that we need to have as as a city, as a council, because we have to look at the alternative. So that's before we move forward with anything else. Continue. We need to figure out how we're going to finance it. The city has some money. Would the city wants to put some money in there? Would the city want to have some sales tax uh, measure so we could finance that? Would the city want to have? Uh, public-private partnership, meaning get sponsors from the, you know, from large employers? Do you want to give naming right to certain uh, rooms in the rec center? And well, we during, during, the, during the course of uh, running for election, that was one of my concerns. I did reach out to the PJCC and, and talk with the director out there, Paul, yeah. and um, I would encourage, if you haven't already, to uh, somewhat extend those arms out to see what you can do working with the PJCC. Uh, I know they're a very valuable uh, valuable asset to the city of Foster City, and they're going through their struggles, too, as when I was talking with them on their membership uh, challenges, let's just say they have 2,000 members just from the Bay Area, from Redwood City down to Hillsboro or Burlingame, 
that they're not getting the people to come to the facility anymore, primarily because of the traffic problems, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So they're they're backed up against some things there, too. Um, but I, I would think that you guys would explore something. I know there was things in the past that were promised and probably didn't fulfill, and maybe sometime this partnership with the PJC thing might be a good step to help solve a problem for the city. Um, uh, no, you're absolutely right, Patrick. I'm always, I always look for partnerships, and I've met with Paul as well when he first got on board, and I'm happy to meet with him again. Once we, you know, as you know, this is we, at this point, we're just exploring. We're having conceptual designs and so forth, and now recently we just uh, selected one of those conceptual designs. But yes, absolutely, uh, working with our uh, community members, including the PJCC, and see where we could collaborate and where we could work together so we're not duplicating the offers that we have, if you will, uh, complement each other rather than compete with each other. Uh, a little bit more of a highlight. Uh, when are we, are we about to break ground on the Saris Regis project? Is that is that uh, pretty much wrapped up and ready to go? Yeah, it is wrapped up as far as the process is concerned, other than they have to go through the Planning Commission and the CDD, Community Development Department. But as far as the council has approved that project, then it's going to move forward. Why don't you give the, uh, and, and you know, you and I might know more about the Saris Regis project than our listeners. So, and sometimes they, they mix projects up in the city. So why don't you tell people what the, what, what was accomplished with the Saris Regis project and how the partnership with the, the developer um, and the city is working. Yeah, I mean, as you know, on this topic, there's, uh, was, it's an extremely sensitive to some people, and there's a lot of misinformation that was going on in the community, and probably till today. So first and foremost, uh, Saris Regis had that property, and they were entitled to build a commercial office building along with 17 townhomes. So they were entitled to those and at any day they could have came in and put the application and if they met the requirements of the design and material and all that uh, stuff that we have for them, they could have built that the next day, started building that next day. Uh, what they did is they seriously just approached the city and they said, we would like to have a change of land use on this parcel. We would like, instead of having an office building, and 17 townhomes, we would like to add an additional 53 townhomes in lieu of the office building. Would the city be open to that? And they went through the process, as you know, they came to the gatekeeper, they came, uh, they went to the planning commission and so forth, and they were given uh, some feedback, and based on that feedback, they went in and adjusted what they were offered to the city would be and the final product basically was uh, they would purchase a piece of property from a neighboring property owner and make that bigger. And they will provide the city, they will build an apartment building that will have 22 units that the city will use for workforce housing. And the city is not paying any money for this. Uh, because as some people say we are giving taxpayers money to the developers to build housing. That is absolutely not true. The city is not paying not even one penny to that project. What the city will will have the option of, after that project is completed, Sarasvijas will build their 70 townhomes and they will build a apartment building for 22 units. The city will have the option 
to purchase said apartment building, 22 units, for $7 million. At that time, the council will come and say, yes, we want to buy that for $7 million. Or if not, then it will go back to BMR regular as it would go like every other property that we have in the city. So at $7 million to buy 22 units in the Bay Area, I don't know where you could do that. You know that you are real estate in the real estate business. So that's a great deal for our city. That's a great deal for our workforce housing. That is a great deal for our community, having people who serve us in the city day in and day out to be living among us. I think that's a great plus. The challenge of continue to attract and retain employees continue to get harder by the day. All every day, it's extremely hard. So if I, uh, if we as a city can provide workforce housing for our people who work in our police, fire, or even public works, that people who maintain our lagoon system, people who maintain our sewer system, people who maintain in an emergency, I want these people to be living with me. I want them to be here. I don't want them to be in Livermore. I don't want them to be in Danville. I don't want them to be even farther in Modesto. One more question before I, we wrap up. Um, any opinion or what's going to happen uh, with the Charter Square thing? And what could the city in itself do to help influence the situation? Um, obviously, from what I understand, they're probably between $11 million and $12 million over budget. I know the relationship with Mr. Chang is dissolved and that Mr. Chang is going to level the property and make it presentable for the school district to put out for new bids. Any progression on that or, or, or any information you may share with the audience out here? I don't have any more information, but, uh, you know, as you know, the city has always had its concerns about that particular project and the look most of us actually, at the location. Is that really the best place to have a school in the city? There is no question that we need a school in Foster City. There's, I don't think you're going to find anyone who... And as you know, uh, when we were talking to the school district, we raised those concerns uh, in our meetings. And quite frankly, the school district decided... And that's they're right. They decided, no, this is the best place for it, and this is what we want to do, and the law allows us to do it, therefore we're going to continue to do it. And as you know, Councilmember Perez, on a personal level, he challenged the school district particularly on the issue of not putting the project for, bid, for bids, and uh, he predicted that this transaction, because there is no cap on how much the owner of the property, the owner-developer of the property uh, would come asking the school district. And sure enough, it seems like uh, he was right. And uh, now here we are. Today is today. We are in a place where the school district is over budget on that project. And they're trying to go get proposal for bids. I hope they are successful, but I want to try to see what we as a city can do to work with the school district to help them build a school in Foster City. Because this is really the intention, right? They want to build a school, and we believe there sh should be a school, and we want to work with them and figure out how we could push this forward. In my humble opinion, I think, and I know probably the school district is not entertaining that option, but in my humble opinion, they ought to start looking at 
selling that charter square piece after they buy it from the property now, property owner, and take that money and put it in Bowditch. Build a two-story building in there. Because here you have $60 million, basically let's say 30 and they have 30. You got $60 million, you could build a school on Bowditch. You have the real estate property. Why are we, why are they, not we, spending money on real estate and building one-story school and as we all know, that original plan has been minimized and have been trimmed because they cannot afford the school that they had envisioned. So why don't, I think what would be, what makes sense to me personally, if I were on that board is, I would consider looking at Bowditch. I think that's an extremely viable option. And with that money that I have at my disposal, $60 million, I could definitely go a whole lot farther than what I would do in Charter Square. Well, Mr. Mayor, I, I concur with your, your analysis on it. What, and the big elephant in the room is, let's say that the school district goes forward with somewhat of an idea that, that, that you uh, put out there. Um, how easy will it be able to sell the property and develop the property with the sentiment that we have in the city, whether it's going to be, uh, I think a, a, a few things that came out would be housing, maybe workforce housing built over there. What do you think would actually be able to get through the city council or the planning commission um, to be built out there? Now that they're pretty much, we're just talking land value out here in Foster City. So I think your, your, uh, your astute observation um, is, is probably agreed by a lot of people out there. Uh, that we need to work with our existing campuses and expand that narrative more than put it on a property that right now is basically inadequate, under-budgeted, and won't, won't fulfill what the obligation was with the school district. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's really a very interesting point that you raise. And that's where I say if the school district is willing to engage us in this, uh, I would like to see how the city could help and assist. Because at the end of the day, these are our children and these are our kids. We want to provide them the best facility possible. Bowditch currently is not in a good shape. And we want to provide them adequate classroom. We want to provide them adequate uh, teachers. We want to provide them all that stuff. That's not in our jurisdiction. That's in the school district. But I want to work very closely with the school district to see how we can assist them, whether financially, whether in any other way, form we can. Because at the end of the day, we share the same goal with them provide our kids with the best education possible. Well, I want you to continue to talk to Rico Medina, the uh, mayor of San Bruno. Obviously, they're talking about Crestmore of taking the existing campus and making teachers housing. And they're also talking about it in Daly City at the the old Ceremony High School. So it's going to be interesting to see how it comes out. Before we finish, is there anything on Podcast by the Bay that you are real proud of that you want to talk about in, uh, in a minute or so? I know we've covered a lot of ground here in a, in a short period of time. Well, I'm proud of everything that uh, we have accomplished over the past year. There's a lot of accomplishment that has uh, happened, quite frankly. Uh, we had a balanced budget. Uh, the main, First and foremost, we have been still one of the most the safest city in the country to live in and always voted one of the best places to live as well. Uh, we have great staff here. Uh, we have great fire and police that continue to provide us the best services possible. Uh, yes, we do have our challenges with traffic, 
and uh, we will continue to address those and I think the hovercraft and the traffic relief pilot program uh, hopefully those will have a significant positive impact on our community. I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Patrick, for your podcast, By the Bay, uh, to provide your listeners with diverse points of views, uh, people from different backgrounds, different opinions, and that's really what a healthy democracy is all about. Well, on behalf of Podcast By the Bay, Mr. Mayor Sam Hindi, we want to thank you for taking the time, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. My pleasure. Now it's party time. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
yeah. Well, that was the song entitled When We Were One by yours truly, Andre DeVito right there. And uh, that was from the album Colors of Truth. And I recorded that a couple years ago. And you can find that song and all the other songs from the album Colors of Truth on the Highway Soul Music page at highwaysoul.com. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get to a thought of the episode. It's a very short one, but I had to drop it in here because this one came out this week. And this, let's, let's just throw this one on the table and, and let it resonate for there for a second, right? And uh, so that's this, that Amazon in 2018, one of the most profitable companies on this earth, paid zero taxes in the United States. Let's just let that marinate for a little while. All right, that's the thought of the episode. And uh, if you have any questions, have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at podcastbythebay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And remember, you can find us anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can listen to any of our episodes for free. And that's on any podcast site. That's iTunes. And we're also now on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast site, Pocket Casts, um, we are there. All right. So until next time, keep on rocking, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.